Hello Mosaic, uh, welcome to our service again if you're just joining us. Um, today we're continuing um, in our Daniel series and so if you want to go and, and get your Bibles, I just want to encourage you to flip over to Daniel um, 4 and that's where the Word of God comes from um, today. And as you can tell, I'm not at church, but uh, we are all recording uh, for uh, the presider and the pastors. We're recording at home and today I bring you... Um, the Word of God uh, from home, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to do that uh, with you. And so I just want to read with you Daniel 4, and um, I'm going to read to you just verses 34 to 37. And um, we're going to read a lot of this throughout the sermon, but today I just want to bring you these four verses. Daniel 4, verse 34 to 37. This is the Word of God. At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor of the king of heaven for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This is the word of the Lord. Um, today, I want to bring you a message about our pride um, and, and God's humility for us. When I talk about pride, um, I don't want you to think of someone who is proud and boisterous outwardly, uh, somebody who might be pretentious or get on your nerves, um, but when you hear the word pride, um, I'd love for you to just think about the simple concept of us keeping ourselves at the center of our lives and us being the gods of our lives. That's really what God is speaking out against um, in today's word. In today's passage, we see Nebuchadnezzar lose himself because he puts himself at the center. And when he lifts his eyes up to heaven, and takes himself off the throne of his own life, and he puts God at the throne of his life. We see him actually get himself back. Those are the two halves of today's sermon that I want to bring to you today, is that when we look at ourselves as the center of our lives, what happens, the irony of doing that, is we lose ourselves. And if we put God at the center, and we make God our vision, then what happens is we actually get ourselves back. And that's what we see in today's passage. And, and that's what I want to look at with you. And so would you just pray with me? And uh, let's go together to God and ask for his help. Lord, as we open up your word today, we want to put our hearts just before you and say, here's my heart, oh God. This is what I've been all week. And this is what I have at the end of my week. And uh, we just want to come to you and say, Lord, work on our hearts we, we need you to come and speak because by your word, our lives are changed, our hearts are changed, and we're actually the men and women that you want us to be. But at the end of this week, 
we come with our hearts in all sorts of strange places, in bent out of shape places. And Father, we ask that your word bring us into the light once more. We trust you. We trust that you would speak and speak powerfully even in this time of pandemic, in our situations, that you would be able to reach into our hearts and show us that you are not on break, that you are not quarantined, but the Holy Spirit has a mighty purpose for us. So speak to us today, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just want to give you a little bit of context um, as we look at how Nebuchadnezzar looks at himself and loses himself. Uh, the context of this is this is about 25, 30 years after the fiery furnace. And so quite a bit of time has passed since chapter 3. Um, Daniel is no longer a young man, but he's probably in his mid to late 40s at this point. And some time has gone by and Nebuchadnezzar, an amazing thing has happened to him through all this time. Nebuchadnezzar has actually turned to God at the end of his life. He has actually turned to Yahweh and become a worshiper of Yahweh at the end of his life. That's an amazing thing. If you think about that, this is the man who used to burn people alive for bending their knee to Yahweh. At the end of his life, he actually bends his own knee to Yahweh. And that, I don't know, that should give us so much hope um, about praying for leaders and thinking about people in our lives that Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of his life, decided to turn to God. And today he wants to give us his testimony for how that happened, how he turned to God, because obviously it's an amazing thing that happened. It's something that nobody expected. He's the last guy that anyone expected to turn to God, but he did. And so he, he says here in verse two and three, he says, it seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the most high God has done for me. Essentially, he's saying, it seemed right and good for me to give my testimony how this happened. And today he gives us that testimony. And the way that he came to God is really through a dream. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar is the dreaming king. He's always dreaming. He's constantly dreaming. I don't know how this guy ever got any sleep, um, but he's always dreaming. And these dreams are always bothering him. And here he has another dream. It's a dream about a mighty tree that he sees. This is a great tree in the midst of the earth. Um, and it grows to amazing heights. And this tree provides fruit and shade for all the earth. And it's this mighty tree. But then what happens is, let me read you from verse 13 of our, our chapter. This is what it says. Here's this mighty tree. But then in verse 13, I saw in the visions of my head as I lie in bed. And behold, a watcher, a holy one came down from heaven. And he proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree. Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip its leaves and scatter its fruit and let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the field. And read verse 16. This is interesting. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. He has this dream. And, you know, compared to the first time that he had a dream, even you and I, when we look at this dream, it, it seems pretty simple to interpret, right? But Nebuchadnezzar does what he always does. He calls his sages. He calls his wise men in. And he says, interpret this dream for me. This time I'll even tell you what the dream is. And he says, please interpret the dream for me. And then all the people who were called say, oh, we can't, we can't interpret this dream for you. 
Now, a part of me wonders if they actually couldn't interpret this dream or they wouldn't interpret this dream. Because when you look at the dream, it's fairly simple. And I think even you and I can get the meaning of this dream. But all of them refuse to give him the meaning of this dream until Daniel comes in, now a grown man, and he says to Nebuchadnezzar, my king, you are the tree. My king, you are the tree. You have grown strong and powerful and mighty in this world. But here's the thing. In verse 22, this is what he says. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches the heavens and your dominion to the ends of the earth. But he tells Nebuchadnezzar, this is a warning dream, a warning shot from God. Because in verse 17, he says, uh, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. This is what he's saying. He's saying this is a warning. This is a warning that unless you understand that you are not God, that you will be humbled, O king. You are this mighty tree, and you know what? Your kingdom is vast and mighty and awesome, but you know what? Until you are able to see that you are not God, and if you don't have the, at least that degree of humility, God will humble you. And so this is a warning from God. Nebuchadnezzar, bow your knee to him and see that he is God. And if you don't, this is what's going to happen to you. You will become like a beast of the field. He will take your mind away and he will give you the mind of a beast. And you will become subhuman. You will be less than human. And now think about that. Here is the, the one who is the, the mightiest in all the earth. He is superhuman in the eyes of all who live in creation under him. And yet the threat is, look, if you don't humble yourself before God and acknowledge that you are not God, then you will be made less than human. You will be made less than human. You will be made subhuman. Acknowledge God. Acknowledge that He is God and acknowledge that you are not. Now, if you think about that, that is such a simple request to just acknowledge that you are not God. That's an easy thing um, if, if we think about it, but the absurdity of that ask, to just think that you are not God, that shows us how insanely blind we are to who God is and who we are. It shows us just how blindly, uh, just blindly we live out our lives and how we think about ourselves, that we think that we are God and how absurd is that, but we actually do. There was a young corporal who came up to Winston Churchill one day and uh, Winston Churchill is this great man. And this young corporal wanted to impress Winston Churchill. And so he came up to uh, Winston Churchill and, and he said, Sir, Mr. Churchill, sir, I want you to know that I am a self-made man. I am a self-made man and you can ask of anything from me because me, I'm a self-made man. And Winston Churchill, he looked at this man and he said, Young man, you have just relieved God of a very solemn responsibility. Young man, you have relieved God of a very solemn responsibility. And what he is saying is that you are not a self-made man. You are a God-made man. Don't forget that you are not God, that you have not made yourself. 
And it's such a, an absurd thing to, to say that we have to realize that. But brothers and sisters, that just explains to us just how much pride blinds us of reality and of who we really are. You know, and pride not only blinds us, but it actually makes us less of who we're supposed to be, less human than we actually are. The picture here of what happens to Nebuchadnezzar is actually a picture of what happens to us. It's not merely a punishment, but it's also an illustration of what happens to those who put themselves at the center. Let me read to you from verse 31 and 33. This is what happens to the king. While the words were still in the king's mouth, the king was um, standing above his kingdom and he was looking down and it only took a year. It only took a year after this warning dream came from God that he was 12 months after looking at his kingdom and he was saying, Ah, isn't this Babylon, the Babylon that I have created? Aren't I such an amazing king? He's walking around this palace and looking down at his kingdom, looking down at his kingdom and looking at himself. And this is what he says in verse 33. Um, ah, isn't this my Babylon that I have created? And this is what happens in verse 31. Sorry. Um, While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until his hair grew as long as eagle feathers and his nails were like the bird's claws. God's judgment comes upon the king, but it's not just judgment, but it's also an illustration of what happened to him inside his heart. It's actually going to happen as a manifestation on the outside. But what happens is he becomes like a beast of the field and um, a lot of People have talked about how this was a mental disorder, but it's very clear that this is not just a mental disorder. What happens to King Nebuchadnezzar is from God to illustrate to him what has happened in his heart because he has made himself the center. And what happened to him is he became less than human. He became less than what God has called him to be. He became someone who is, uh, someone who is lost in himself. Right? He lost himself in making himself the center. And brothers and sisters, this is, just, this is not just about Nebuchadnezzar. This is about all of us. What happens when we put ourselves at the center of our lives? We become less than what we were created to be. We become less than who we are supposed to be in God. What does that look like? You know, again... Pride and, and um, having ourselves at the center, it doesn't always just look like being boastful or brash, but it also looks like being very fragile in our lives. You know, when we are at the center of our own lives, we become very, very fragile. We become incredibly anxious because we have the responsibility of being our own gods. We become very frustrated and very, very proud, too proud to ask for help. We begin to boast in our victories, but we also are devastated by our defeats. 
you know, these are all things that happen to us when we try to be our own God. That's what it looks like when man who is created to be under God tries to carry the weight that God carries in our own lives. It's a scary thing. It's a heavy burden. And that's why we become deeply anxious when we are meant to be his children and we are supposed to rest in him. We become deeply anxious. We become self-seeking instead of being magnanimous towards people because we're scared. We have to take care of ourselves. There's so much fear in our lives. We stop asking for help and we think that we have to do everything by ourselves. And we become fragile because of that, don't you see? We're not meant to be these silos off on ourselves, trying to do everything by ourselves. But this is what we do when we try to be our own gods. We're supposed to flourish in a community and rely upon each other and be together underneath the sovereignty of God. But when we want to be our own gods, what happens is that we become fragile because we're carrying way too much weight. You see, we're not meant to live like that. We're not meant to live as gods. And yet, when we put ourselves at the center of our lives, that's exactly what happens. And that's the sad irony, I think, of pride. That we, ha- we thought going into pride, that pride would protect us. That if we took care of ourselves, that we would revive ourselves. But what happens is we end up ruining ourselves. Because we're not meant to be God of our lives. Nebuchadnezzar was not meant to see himself as the king of kings. He was meant to see himself as a king under Yahweh. And God punishes him and also uses him him as an illustration of what happens to those who put ourselves at the center. When man is our vision, when man is the vision for our lives, we become undone. We lose ourselves in trying to keep ourselves. We become fallen, stubborn, blind people. And brothers and sisters, if that's what it's been like for you, especially in the midst of the pandemic, trying to keep everything together all by yourself, trying to be Yahweh of your life, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of trying to be God of your own life? You're not meant to be. You need to let God be God again in your life. And so today, the invitation is for us to stop looking at a vision of ourselves, but now to have a vision of God. Because when we have a vision of God, we get ourselves back. We get ourselves back again. This is the second point, finding finding ourselves in a vision of God. The first thing to see in this passage in Nebuchadnezzar's turnaround, because remember, this is his testimony of how he turned around to worship Yahweh. The first thing to see is track his eyes. As you read this passage, track his eyes. When he is plunged into pride and plunged into his humiliation, turned into a beast, track his eyes. His eyes at that point are looking at himself and looking down at his kingdom. When he is proud, he's looking at himself and he's looking down at his kingdom and he's saying, ah, isn't this so good what I have made, great Babylon that I have created. He sounds like God in the book of Genesis, doesn't he? When God has created and he looks down and he says, oh, it is good. That's what Nebuchadnezzar sounds like here. He looks down at Babylon and he says, isn't this an amazing kingdom which I have created? 
Now that is very fragile because if Babylon was a mess, then because Babylon is Nebuchadnezzar's doing, Nebuchadnezzar would be devastated. You see, that's the fragility of pride. It makes us so fragile. When things are going well, we feel so amazing. But then when things are down, we get so devastated. We feel like it's the demise of who we are. That's how fragile it is. When you make yourself the center of your life, when you make yourself your vision, when you make yourself God of your life, you will become incredibly fragile because in success you will be proud and in defeat you will be devastated. Track his eyes. His eyes are looking down and he's looking at himself. But then Nebuchadnezzar, he becomes like a beast of the field when his mind is made like a mind of a beast and he's out in the field now and he's chewing on grass and he's like a cow, like an ox out there. And while he's out there, as the the full time of the punishment has finished, it says this in verse 34 to 37. This is how Nebuchadnezzar found himself again. This is very important and track his eyes. Verse 34, it says this. At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. I lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. He says, at the end of days, I lifted my eyes to heaven and I saw a vision of God. And finally, he saw God instead of looking at himself. You see, he lifted his eyes up because he was humbled. He was like an ox. He was like a beast of the field. And he was able to lift his eyes to heaven. And that perspective of seeing God for the first time in a long time, he was able to be humbled. And in being humbled under God, he got himself back. You see, he came out of his trance when he was able to have a vision of God that he hadn't had in a long time. It it often happens um, in our humility that we finally look up to God. In our pride, when we're boastful, when we're proud, when we have ourselves at the center and we're feeling like a success, oftentimes we're not looking at God. It's when things go bad, oftentimes, that we look up at God. But it doesn't have to be that way, brothers and sisters. We need a vision of God in our lives. And a lot of us have not had a vision of God in a really long time. And that's why we feel deeply anxious all the time because we desire to be the masters of our universe. We desire to be God. And that's why you are anxious all the time. That is why you are breaking at the seams because you are trying to carry a weight that you are not supposed to carry. That's why you are crumbling in this pandemic because you are feeling the pressures of living up to the job description of Yahweh. And until you have a vision of God, you will never be released from that until you actually see God being your God. You know, Asaph, the worship leader, he talked about a time when he felt so blinded. And he felt very blinded because he looked into the world and he saw how everybody was living in the world who didn't follow God and didn't desire God. And they didn't have to sacrifice anything and they seemed so comfortable. And he who followed God lived a a very different life. And, And he lived a life in which his heart was always wrenched and he was sacrificing and he didn't understand 
what was going on inside of his heart. And he was trying to figure out what's going on in his emotions, in the way that he was understanding his own life. And in Psalm 73, he really just just lays it all out. And, And he says it in such an honest way for all of us. The turnaround for Asaph in trying to understand himself is very similar to Nebuchadnezzar's uh, trying to understand himself because he lost himself and he couldn't get what's wrong with his heart. It says in Psalm 73, verse 16 to 17, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed like a wearisome task. What he means by that is I couldn't figure it out. And Just the thought of going through the process of understanding why my heart was feeling this way, the tensions, the anxiety, it just made me so tired. Can you relate to that? In trying to understand yourself and how do I figure myself out and I I don't understand why I feel so anxious all the time. He says it felt like a wearisome task until, verse 17 says, until I entered the sanctuary of God. And in Psalm 73, he talks about this turnaround that happened in his own heart where he couldn't understand why he was feeling this way and all the pressures and the confusion that was in his heart until he came into the sanctuary of God and he had a vision of God. He says, then I understood, then I understood when I had a vision of God that put everything back into perspective. You see, brothers and sisters, we need a vision of God. Because until we do, we will be left to be our own gods. And when we try to be our own gods, it is a wearisome, burdensome, anxious, scary task. And when things go well, you'll celebrate like you are God, like you did it all yourself. But then when you fail, you will feel the devastation and demise of being a failed God. You see, unless we have a vision of him who is the true God, like Nebuchadnezzar did, And as Asaph did, unless we have a vision of God, we will keep crumbling under the weight of being God ourselves. We need a vision of God. This week, um, I went out to run uh, very early in the morning. Um, And I'm normally an early riser, but I I just have to confess to you this week that there was a, a night, you know, Sunday night into Monday morning, and I just felt so much anxiety, and I had a hard time sleeping. And I got up uh, way before I, I normally do, and I got up and I decided that since I have so much of this anxious energy inside of us, inside of me, that I would go outside and go running outside. I normally just run inside, but I decided to go outside. And I just wanted to just kind of run, but it was really, really dark. Um, it was about 4.20 in the morning when I, when I got outside. And so it was really pitch dark and there was nobody around. And I started my jog and it was this like slow, kind of jiggly, out of shape jog that uh, I was doing. And I was just picking a song in my headphones and um, it was very early. So instead of, you know, choosing um, an audiobook, which I normally listen to, I decided to listen to some music. And then YouTube suggested to me this song by Hillsong. And it was a song called So Will I. And so I just clicked it, you know, it was not intentional. Um, so I just went outside, clicked it. I had my headphones on and just kind of a slow, uh, tired jog. But then... I was outside and I started listening to the words of this song. And I want to read to you uh, the words of this song. And I want you to imagine, I'm outside at 4.20 in the morning, it's pitch dark. I see all the stars in the sky because I live in the suburbs. 
and I can't sleep because of anxiety. And I'm running outside, and this is what the words said to the song. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time, with no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. That made me stop a little bit. Spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. I looked up into the sky as I was jogging and I saw all the stars and this music playing in my ears. And I looked up and I just felt so small. I just felt so small and I felt the hugeness of God as I was outside under the stars. God who makes universes in his free time. And here I was in my dirty old Nikes and a dirty t-shirt, such a small, insignificant being running outside before a vast sky that he made. And I just felt so small. And something about that made me start to cry. <laughs> it was this like ugly cry and I'm out running outside. Thank goodness none of the neighbors were awake because I'm outside and I'm running and I'm, I'm crying at the same time because I'm just feeling God's bigness and my smallness. And I was just doing this nasty cry as I was running. And you know why? Because as I was listening to the song and as I was running outside under this vast sky, I just felt, for some reason, I just felt the pressure of holding up my life disappear. Honestly, the pressure of feeling like I have to hold up this church, I felt it disappear. The pressure of being a perfect dad and a perfect husband and a perfect this and a that. I just felt it disappear. All the expectations that I put on myself, I felt them begin to disappear. And I just got the feeling, you know, I don't have to hold up the universe. And that's such a stupid, idiotic thing to even think in the first place. Because here I am in my, in my dirty shirt and, and in my old Nikes running under God's sky. And I actually thought that I had to be God. And once I realized that and I began to feel that I didn't have to be God, I began to feel like I rediscovered who I was meant to be, who I actually am in reality and not in my delusions. And that actually made me feel a lot better. And that actually gave me a sense of release and freedom in my life. And that's why I was blubbering, crying <laughs> while I was running outside. Because he was God and I'm not. I don't know when's the last time you had that feeling, but that is the most centering feeling in the world. It centers you to realize that he is God and you are not. And yet there's more. The part where I really started to ugly cry outside when I was running is this. The song keeps going. And the song not only talks about God as vast as the sky, the creator of universes, but then it says this, God of salvation, 
not God of creation, God of salvation. You chase down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill you created, the light of the world abandoned in darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life, so I could find it here. That's when I really started to cry, outside, running, crying. I'm glad no one had to suffer seeing that sight. But I was a mess because the song continued to tell me that not only is he the amazing, vast creator of the universe, but this creator of the universe, he became small like me. He was born in dirty t-shirts and became nothing like me so that he could die for me, to love me, so that he could care for me, so that I could be his. And I saw the insanity of the gospel, the absurdity of the gospel, that God who is the creator of universes, the only one who is not small, became small, so that I would eventually, who is so small, become big, in his eyes. And I was just thrown by the glory of the Christian gospel one more time. That he's not only the God who watches over me, which other religions have as well, but the truth of the matter is that God and Jesus Christ, he not only watches over me, but he came to die for me. And that even though I was small and he was big, that I was loved. And because I was loved, he became small to make me big in his eyes. Brothers and sisters, in that moment, when I saw the sky and saw the the vastness of God who became small for me, I just felt everything unloaded from me. I felt my failures disappear. I felt my sin forgiven. So I'm not just cared for. Not just somebody with a God, but somebody with a loving Savior. And I was seeing God again, a vision of God. And brothers and sisters, don't you want to remember what it's like to be a child of God? Don't you want to remember what it feels like not to have to carry the burden of God even when you're not God? Don't you want to feel the freedom and release again of being under God and being a child of God one more time? You need a vision of God. You need to see Him again. You need to lift up your eyes and to stop looking at yourself. That's why you're anxious and that's why you're constantly crumbling. Don't you want the freedom and power and release and authority of being His son, His daughter once more? You have it before you, but you need a vision of God. Because in a vision of God, you will not only find that He is the God of creation, He is God of all, but he's also your loving savior. And so you don't have to be God over your own life anymore. I just wanna give you two points of application. You know, we need these visions of God and they need to be two things. Number one, they need to be continual. We need to have continual visions of God. Remember that Nebuchadnezzar got that warning dream and then just 12 months after, he fell into pride. He put himself back at the center 
of his life. We need visions of God continually. Put yourself in places where you can have a vision of God. Put yourself in a a position where you can have regular visions of God by yourself, in your devotions, enter into worship again and again, come to worship, take worship seriously in your homes. If you do not put yourself in positions to have visions of God, the default is that you will have a vision of yourself and you will again lose yourself. Make sure that you are putting yourself into positions to have visions of God by yourself, with others, in worship, over and over again. Do not rob yourself of the visions of God because that's exactly what we need to get ourselves back. Second thing is when you pursue these visions of God, don't make it about yourself. And I know that it's such an obvious thing that it almost doesn't seem like I have to say that, but I do. Because you know why? Because we're such a relevance-obsessed culture that everything is about us. And so every sermon is about us and you're wondering, what am I going to take away from this? Every devotion has to be about me. Every worship song has to be about me. And we always are looking for ways to bend these visions towards me. How is it going to help me? What is it about my life that he's talking about? But brothers and sisters, sometimes what we need the most is to get our eyes off of ourselves and we need to see a vision of God. Let these times be God-focused. Even if you don't know how it's going to relate to you, help you, have to do with you, have a vision of God. Let it be God-focused because that's what we need. We need to stop looking at ourselves because when we look at ourselves, we lose ourselves. When we make ourselves our God, we lose ourselves. But when we have God and a vision of Him again, we actually get ourselves back. And He gives us who we are as sons and daughters of God. There's freedom in that. And there's power in that. And I pray that you would rediscover that today. Let's go to Him in prayer together. As we pray and as we're about to respond with the song that touched me, and I hope that it gives you a vision of God, I want to read you a couple of lines from the song. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow down in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. Father, we come to you as people with eyes fixated on ourselves. And because our eyes are fixated on ourselves, and we've left it up to ourselves to save ourselves, we've lost ourselves. And we've become worse than Nebuchadnezzar eating grass in a field. We've lost ourselves. And Father, we pray and we humbly ask you, give us a vision inside of who you are once more so that we can regain ourselves. Father, we want to see who you are, the vastness of your your goodness, your power, your authority, your majesty, these things that we haven't even thought about in a long time. And because we haven't thought about your majesty, your glory, your greatness, your goodness, we've been obsessed with ours. And we've become crazy in our own eyes. And we've become anxious in our own eyes. And we've become people who are fragile because of this. God, help us. Help us by 
giving us a picture of who you are. And I pray that as we respond to you now with this song, that you would give us a vision of the greatness, goodness, and the might of our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, as we respond to him with this song, um, I also invite you to give your offerings to him because he is good and he is mighty and he is great. And so together in our homes, let us rise and let's respond to him with this song and remember he is God and that is the best thing for us. Thank you.